Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best friend Nick Dostal. We're two film lovers and filmmakers here to talk about what we've been watching lately. How you doing there, brother man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. Hanging in. Hanging in. Um, so we're going to do this on this podcast. Uh, we're going to do a deep dive into a director's body of work and today is Richard Linklater. I wanted to do him first because correct me if i'm wrong here but i believe it's kind of a this is a big take i believe linklater is the director we agree on the most that isn't to say we disagree on directors a lot because we rarely do but i think with damn near every one of his films we're probably in sync there might be a few outliers but he hits for us i think absolutely and he's i i actually thought about this a lot i think he is if not in my top three, my top five favorite directors of all time. I did not know that. Holy shit. All time. I love this man. I love everything about his, um, there's a word that I, as I dove through all of these movies that keep coming up for me, ideas. He is just a guy that has so many ideas that I could just swirl, be swept up in. I could discuss forever. So he expresses that through all of his movies and we've done that we've had some deep conversations about his work which i'm excited to get into here um a little bit of background Linklater was born in houston texas but is today widely considered along with maybe robert rodriguez one of the kings of austin texas cinema he has made 20 features so far in his career though people rarely mention it's impossible to learn to plow by reading books as his first film they typically credit slacker as his first feature He's had a really fun and great and wholly unique career for this industry. I'm just going to dive right in here with my main point. When I think of Richard Linklater, I think of time. He is a huge fan of what the constraints of time can have on a narrative. And that concept is featured so heavily in his best films. Side note real quick. <laughs> his other, a huge influence of his, I don't know if you know this, is the the teachings of Aristotle. He talks about this a lot in his interviews. And I didn't know if you wanted to tell the kids at home what we have in common with Aristotle. Yeah, absolutely. I love this. So um, you were flying to Los Angeles for the Oscars. It's a couple of years ago. And I was like, you know, I really, I want to get a tattoo and I want to get a matching tattoo with you. Yeah. All your tattoos are just, um, you're, you're like the guy from Memento. They're just sayings. They're words. Words, yeah. A lot of scripts. Yeah. And you were like, "Yeah, man, I'm cool with getting a, a matching tattoo, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be words." And I was like, "I'm cool with that." Mm -hmm. So we spent like a very long time, months, trying to figure out what uh, a tattoo we were gonna get, and we just couldn't come up with anything until I found this Aristotle quote, and it said, uh, "Quality is not an act; it is a habit." Amen. And um, that resonated with us on both a our own individual personal levels mm -hmm. and but then as who we are as friends and what we do with our work and um and then we talked about link ladder well yeah because we we were really stuck in trying to make it a movie quote mm -hmm. and we were really really stuck there i think i even threw out an american psycho quote at one point you're like yeah, <laughs> i don't know maybe not and then you you when you sent this text of that quote i went that's it there it is. It. We're done. And then we immediately started talking about Linklater. So I just thought that was cool. Okay, back to time. You look at time and you look how it has influenced his narrative. So just let me run just real quick. Uh, Slacker takes place in one day. 
Dazed and Confused is 24 hours. Before Sunrise is 24 hours. Tape is in real time. Before Sunset is in real time. 80 glorious minutes of real time. Before Midnight is an afternoon and an evening. Boyhood is very famously 12 whole years. And Everybody Wants Some is one weekend. Yeah. And I don't think it's a coincidence that many of those are widely considered his best films. I, I think that's one of the things that I love most about his movies is that um, there is a clear, he, he has something he wants to say about time. I think he's intrigued by um, the experiences we have in the moment and then what that means to us um, later on. And an interesting thing that I thought of was that, do you realize that most of his movies don't actually end? There's endings, but they don't end. Before Sunset, no bullshit, one of my quote-unquote favorite endings of all time, but that is a non-ending, but it's a perfect ending. Yep, it's a perfect ending. I, I will never forget sitting in the theater in 2004. Everyone in the theater was like, what? And then you just sat there through the credits, and you're like, there's no better way for that to end. Yep. But yeah, that's a really good point. The, the story... Well, wait a minute. Isn't this in Before Sunset? Doesn't Ethan Hawke say like a story isn't really done? It just keeps going? there's some like line when they're talking is like i guess the story's never really over and i think that's Linkletter talking <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean dazed and confused doesn't have an ending they just drive off <laughs> they just drive off everybody wants some he just puts his head down goes asleep. on the desk <laughs> and you know that's the beauty of his endings though is that you know that life is ahead next and it's always ahead. It will never stop being ahead until we're dead. That's, and, and he always talks about, well, when that happens, we just won't wake up. It's really interesting because I am a cr I'm like crazily obsessed with real-time movies. You know, I've been working on one personally that I would hope to make one day. And it's, it's like it's 82 exact minutes and every minute is accounted for. So I was actually just rewatching tape before we started. I didn't know it was on Amazon Prime. Yeah. And I'm watching that and I'm like, I just love this. I mean, every minute is accounted for. They're talking about someone and you're like, who the hell is this person? And then she shows up and it's like, oh, this is OK. And you made a really good point earlier about how coming back to things because no director has like before sunrise and then nine years later sunset and nine years later midnight and that's it's just fascinating to like pick up with the same characters every nine years or so i i mean before sunrise little spoiler here it ends ambiguously you give that material to most other directors and those who are falling in love and they're happily ever after and then you put on before midnight and that's a fucking bruiser of a movie mm -hmm. like that hotel room argument is really intense and you really feel all that and i think that is one of if not the most realistic relationship fight scenes that i've ever seen hugely influential on me in my own writing uh, yeah absolutely i can totally tell that and and you know he um because it's it's waves mm -hmm. it's not just a build to this climactic explosion of an argument it's a which 95 percent of movie arguments are it just builds and then it crests and then it's done and in real fights like that that go on for a period of time, there's always a point where you come back yep. and then you try to find that ground, that common ground. Can we get back to rational, calm conversation? And then someone says something and then that parachutes it off into a whole other place. And yeah. that scene does that. And it's funny because I had a very different 
um, reaction to that movie, seeing it not being in a relationship. And then the first time I saw that was in a relationship. Because you just watched all three back to back, right? Back to back to back. Back to back to back. And I had visceral, yep, visceral emotional reactions to each one. I was reminded of romanticism with Before Sunrise. It brought me back to the feelings that I had had when I was really young, like high school kind of infatuation. And um, then Before Sunset, I... That one had the biggest. I was, I really, uh, I, I connected with that. And I think that goes to his point in time is that you could probably watch all three of those movies at different areas of your life and you'll have a different reaction to them depending on where you're at with where they're at. Exactly. And that's what great art does. And that's what great art does. This shit doesn't change. We change. Mm-hmm. So it's like you watch something and you're reconnecting with it later. I have had that relationship with a few movies of his. Dazed and Confused is, I don't know if it still has this reputation, but it was kind of like the big Lebowski in that most people who watched it for the first time really didn't like get it and didn't laugh. At least people I knew. I didn't. I might have been too young, but I, I was like, is this funny? It's just a bunch of people like talking like nothing's happening. And then you, I watched it, I don't know, five, ten years later, and I went, oh, I, this, when I was their age, you know, the high school age, and I was like, oh, this is like a masterpiece. This is great. And it, they have a way of like kind of creeping up on you the more you revisit them, and they just get better to me. All those movies I listed that where he's really concentrated on time, they all get better every time I watch them. I agree. And he has a way of, um, as many times as you've seen them, you fall into that world with those characters. And it can be something as expansive as Dazed and Confused or Everybody Wants Some, or it can be as so individual as the Before Trilogy. But you get into these characters and you get into their uh, honesty. I think that's really what it is that his movies and his characters do so well, is that they're just so honest. With um, the Before movies, I think you can relate to them as men, as women, that other part of age, the, his talk about marriage on the boat ride and before sunset, that whole entire scene, it, 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 I, I can't remember the last time I had either watched or rewatched a movie that floored me so much. I had never experienced a scene that spoke to me currently as much as that just did. I had to take a break. I was like, oh my God, that just killed me beautifully. And there's like a... There's like another little bit of nostalgia in that scene now because uh, Notre Dame is gone. And yeah. isn't that like a big point of that scene? It's I mean, it's not gone, but it got it got, you know, decimated in that fire. So, now I do have another point I want to talk about and it's a little less fun than the previous one, but and I don't want to suggest that some movies mean more to Linklater than others, but to me there is a noticeable difference in quality with some of his bigger, I guess, studio movies. And you know, some directors have like a designation, like Martin Sc- Martin Scorsese picture, Spike Lee joint. So if we had like a Richard Linklater, uh, like jam, like a, okay, so <laughs> that's if we a had good a one. Richard Linklater jam, that's like Days and Confused, bef- even before Sunrise, Everybody Wants Some Boyhood, where like he's he has his mark all over it. And I think those are the movies we've been talking about. And I do think there's a difference between a Link- Linklater jam and a Linklater movie. I'm talking about movies like Newton Boys, Bad News Bears, Fast Food Nation, Me and Orson Welles, Last Flag Flying, Where'd You Go, Bernadette. I've seen all those, and I don't really have horror, like terrible issues with them. 
but they certainly don't hit as hard for me as his others. So I was just, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's something, um, with the exception of one movie, it seems like the movies that he writes himself or collaborates with very specific people that are on the same page as his ideas, um, those movies just resonate. They, they, they speak his language. Yeah. The School of Rock, I think, is one where uh, I do feel the Linkletter jam in in that movie even though i think that was the first project that he ever worked on that um was essentially a different script that he did not write yeah and was like hey just be the director on this and um and then he's done that with some of the movies that you just listed um and yeah i don't i, I like them I, I i i don't there's nothing wrong with any of those movies there's something to enjoy in all of them but they do not resonate in the same way as his own uh, material and the thing is like i don't care like that's fine because mm-hmm. as long as if he can make those and then give us a boyhood or an everybody wants some then do that it, that doesn't bother me at all now i did leave off school of rock when i did that list because i have a feeling that'll probably be our biggest outlier because that one i've just never connected with it i don't know why it's not really for me but i've only tried twice and i have not tried in over a decade definitely not in over a decade so i should again I, I was going to mention that that was like the, the first major one that he didn't write, but that is also his biggest success by far. Yeah. 131 million at worldwide box office. His number two is Boyhood with 48 million. So School of Rock is like a huge hit for him, a big deal. And I remember being, it, it's just like you said, there's something fun in all of these. I had fun with it. Didn't really resonate for me as fully as some of the others, but Again, it's an interesting career. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I, I, rem- I remember interviews when Boyhood came on. They're like, well, were you worried? Like, what if someone died? And he's like, I don't know. People die. Like, why should that stop me from making something? Like, if that would have happened, that would have been awful. But, I mean, I, I can't, like, not try to make this because I assume someone's going to die. And it's true. It's just like it you have true, to kind of yeah. go with the flow. Yeah, you just have to go with the flow and do it. Because if you're going to film the same fucking movie for 12 years, like, shit might come up yeah you can't really let that hold you back you could say that about really any endeavor that you do in your life sure you know boyhood was a very long endeavor but i mean you could have the same thought about anything and you gonna let that stop you yeah exactly now there's two others that are in like an entirely separate category that we haven't touched on yet but we have to because they have huge followings waking life in a scanner darkly yeah so i just want your overall thoughts on those because some people live and die by those movies and i know people who are diehard linklater fans and those are by far their favorite movies of his i don't know i think that says a lot about those people but they're really really cool experiments and they're really trippy so just wondering what you thought about those actually i had a pretty cool experience with those because um i had seen a scanner darkly probably when it came out on video uh, which was like 2006 or so. Yeah. And I did not connect with it. I, I think it was the animation. Yeah. And then I had never seen Waking Life until yesterday. Really? And yeah, I had never seen it. Oh, cool. It was in, and um, I completely did a 180. I absolutely loved Waking Life almost as much as I've loved any of his movies. Every scene made me think and made me... Um, 
uh, craves some sort of deeper understanding or knowledge about the existentialism that he was like expressing throughout that whole entire movie. There's a, a great line that um, it kind of goes back to your time thing that he says is the idea that you remain in a state of departure, but you're always arriving. That's like Aristotle shit right there. Yeah, that's great. It sure is. And so, and then I had rewatched The Scanner Darkly because I was like, okay, well, and I think maybe because Waking Life is so out there, we're talking about dreams, we're talking about, you know, things that aren't based in reality so that animation works for it, whereas The Scanner Darkly, it seems like it's more of a style. Yeah. And, um... But then I liked Scanner Darkly. I liked it infinitely more than I liked it. It, it not as much as Waking Life, but um, I, I, I was back on the uh, the weirdness of of that exploration for him. See, this is this is why I picked him as a director because I literally could have said everything you just said. I watched Scanner Darkly first, didn't connect with it. A few years later, went back and watched Waking Life and had the exact same experience you did. And the Celeste and Jesse cameo on Waking Life is really cool. And they're just sitting there. It's really I lost, cool. Yeah. I lost my shit. I, I did not expect it because I had just come off of the back-to-back-to-back trilogy. Right. So I was... Um, and then I think in between I watched Boyhood and Tape. So I'm on Ethan Hawk Overdrive, which is a place that I could live forever. And... Um, and so then all of a sudden to be watching Waking Life and see that little snippet, I, w- I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> there they are. Um... Okay, I want to dedicate a little time to tape specifically because this is a movie that does not get talked about a lot. It was very small on purpose. It looks like, I mean, it was definitely shot digital. It was like one of the first fully digital movies, but it looks like it was shot kind of on On a VHS camcorder. Yeah, like very, very consumer grade stuff. And if you accept that, then it's just a fun ride because tape is... I feel like it's our kind of movie. It's three characters, one room, real time, a lot of arguing. Fuck yeah. Yep, yep. (laughs) It's interesting to me because it features an uncharacteristically mean and manipulative Ethan Hawke, which he's he doesn't usually take that approach in Linklater's films. I feel like he's usually a proxy for the director himself. I remember when Hawke um, accepted the, what was it, the Indie Spirit Award for Linklater's best director for boyhood because he wasn't he wasn't there he was like flying in and the first thing hawk said he's like i'm not richard Linklater, but i play him in movies sometimes and it's (laughs) it's just so funny but he does in tape it's like that's hawk's going far there he doesn't usually like kind of branch out and be that crazy in Linklater's films yeah i mean so i don't know what do you I just want to talk about that one a little bit. Yeah. What'd you think of it? How'd you like it? Because you just re- you just watch it for the first time, right? Yeah, first time. And I'm very, very picky when it comes to any type of movie that's been adapted from a play. Right. I ra- rarely think that they work, to be honest. That's just my opinion. Um, it, unless you're Mike Nichols, who f- he figured it out. I don't know how. Because of the way it was shot, it it, it gives you permission to all of a sudden... I don't know. You're 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 already watching something you almost shouldn't be watching. It, yes. it almost doesn't even yeah. feel like a movie. It doesn't. And um and it cooks. Like it the pacing of it is so fast and I love the way in certain scenes where the camera is just literally like like it's like a comic book, like a flip book. It's mm-hmm. just like zooming between face to face to face during this pitch dialogue and um 
I I loved it. I, I is a very big kudos for them to do that. It was um, it, it, the acting on it from top to bottom was great. Uh, it was some of my favorite Ethan Hawke work. I think you had mentioned that as well. Oh yeah, big time. It's one of their favorite movies that they made together, and it's just it's kind of like a nasty. I mean, in a good way, just like a gritty, like somewhat mean spirited Linklater movie that actually now in the Me Too era would really resonate with people because that's just about 90 minutes. And like right at the 27 minute mark, you're like, oh, I see what's happening here. Oh, boy. And it mm-hmm. it has a lot of I, I that's when I don't want to spoil and don't want to give away because I really want to urge people to watch it. So just go just go check it out. And you mentioned something I completely forgot to talk about, which is like his long takes, Because yeah. even though he's zipping back and forth in tape, those are still presumably one shot. And Linklater is a really big, like, low-key stealth wonder guy. He His long shots do not draw attention to themselves. Like the Before Midnight one where they're talking in the car, oh. it's like 17 minutes. And you don't really notice because they're just talking like two people. And I, whenever I figure out that we're in an unbroken take in one of his films, I'm never like, oh, this is a gimmick. It just, I go, wait, when the hell did this start? Holy yep. shit. Like, we're, oh, oh, we're in this. He has such an organic way of doing that, of letting these shots just like unfold and this dialogue just unfold. Love it. One of my favorite um, long takes that he does is in School of Rock. Oh, really? There's a scene where Jack Black is, um, you know, he's kind of really gathering his kids, the band, and he's giving them an idea for how the show is going to go. And it's one, the camera just starts moving backwards and it's him performing in a show and so it's it's jack's musical and acting abilities like it's all him but you realize that he's shown you production value like what the what the uh, arena is doing what instruments are playing what he's singing what the crowd's doing he's doing all of it in one shot and it's pretty impressive i so now i have to go back and rewatch it and i bet yeah watch that i I remember the scene you're talking about did not recall that that was in one shot so i'll probably i'll probably watch that tonight shit now this is kind of just a fun question um i'm a fan of boyhood i think you are too i really liked it It was my at the time i said it was my favorite movie of that year um should it have won just one damn oscar i'm like a major one i hey Mad props to Patricia Arquette. She justly won Best Supporting Actress. Mm-hmm. So happy for her. She would have gotten my vote. But director, original screenplay, pick screenplay, picture, all to Birdman. Should some love been given to Boyhood? <laughs> like, just one. <laughs> I think if there was one, and I know we're talking about him, but it should be director. It should I, be. I thought, yeah. because no one had done in the history of film what he had done. You know, to take a time from... Uh, uh, 12 years and film the progression of of not just age but um what happens to us as humans in 10 years because it's not just the little boy mm-hmm. the parents what they go through like it, it, there's been i mean did the before movies do it because they're 10 years away from each other but you you just get dropped in you don't see it go like that and to me, that's just an ambition that I think alone should have merited some director Oscar love. Yeah, and Birdman is definitely an ambitious movie. It was just so funny because like 2014, Boyhood versus Birdman, and Boyhood covers 20 years. Birdman is wants to be 
seemingly in one shot. So it's funny yeah. that these two very narratively different movies were against each other. But I really, you and I both have a lot of fun handicapping the Oscars. I really, really thought that he was going to pull out director, Linklater was, and that Birdman would get, I didn't know about screenplay, honestly, but probably screenplay and probably picture. It's just a bummer because Linklater does not make movies that attract a lot of Oscar attention. Mm-hmm. Before Sunset was nominated for screenplay, as was Midnight. And it felt like to me that was his shot, like his chance. And the fact that Inuritu won again the next year for The Revenant, I mean, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, but man, if we all knew he was going to win for The Revenant, it's like, spread the wealth a little bit, give it to Linklater for Boyhood. But, uh, yeah, that still kind of burns me. So happy Patricia Arquette won, though. It would have been nice also if like Ethan Hawke was in the running just a little bit, but J.K. Simmons for Whiplash was just winning every feasible award, which is probably the right call. But Rightfully so. He is so good in that. Oh, my God. Ethan Hawke is a huge inspiration for me. And um, one of the coolest things about watching all of these Linklater movies is watching him progress as an actor, too. He's He spans uh, 30 years working together with this guy, so seeing that relationship unfold um, is really, really cool to watch. One more thing I want to share about a specific movie, because for whatever reason, like, what happened to Everybody Wants Some? I This is one of the great, like, mysteries to me, because, so seeing this movie for the first time is one of my favorite movie-going experiences. Yep. You and I saw it together. I got, like, some early screening pass to it. We saw it at Arclight in L.A., and I remember... The credits went up and I looked at you and I was like, what the fuck's going on? You went, what? I was like, hasn't only like an hour passed? You're like, no, dude, like it's a two hour movie. And we were just like high from that movie for Mm -hmm. days. And it's all we would talk about. We told our entire friend group. A lot of them saw it, I think, because of us. But then it just goes away. I never hear anyone talking about it. It didn't have a long run in theaters. I don't know if the studio botched it, botched the release of it. But that is like the great unseen mini masterpiece of his career to me i think it is a phenomenal film endlessly entertaining oh my god it, it's um i mean if anyone was listening to our our last podcast um that was in my top 10 of the decade yeah yeah and it, it's it, it's sometimes even rivals going into my top 10 of all time because of how much i love it he's definitely an inspiration to all filmmakers he really proves that just pick up a damn camera yep. have a story to tell have some actors going along with you but like pick up a camera and shoot the damn thing and start telling stories like that's what i thought of the slacker was that some of those scenes don't altogether hit but you can't help but be infatuated by the idea of what he was trying to get by with that with that scene and it all hits and i was like this guy i think like him i have similar ideas that i want to say and here's a guy that's doing it and it's so inspirational I figured we'd end with a few categories here, some pretty basic things, starting with, we've talked about a lot of his work, we've touched on almost all of them, but um, top five Richard Linklater films, we'll go in descending order, I'll go first since I made you go first on all of our lists in the last podcast, number five for me, Tape. I love that movie for reasons we just said, it belongs in the top five to me. I uh, Number five for me, School of Rock. Nice, okay, so I definitely have to rewatch it. Yeah, it's... Uh... I, and if I'm probably not mistaken, that probably was the very first Richard Linklater movie I'd seen. Oh, That cool. came out in 2003, and I saw it in theaters. I don't recall had seeing. I know I didn't see Dazed and Confused before that. And I just, man, there is magic in that movie. 
Daisy confused. If you had an older sibling or like a friend with an older sibling, they probably had that weird, like trippy VHS Daisy confused. It's them like on the cover, <laughs> yeah. like all spaced out. And that was, it was kind of like kids, Larry Clark's kids. Like yeah. your older sibling, like had it. And I remember waiting until he left and then like putting it in the VCR and not understanding a single thing in Daisy confused. I might've been like six or seven. Great. Um, <laughs> number four for me. They're both taking number four spot, and I think it's fair. Days and Confused and Everybody Wants Some. Oh. They feel like spiritual sequels to me in terms of how they're laid out, how they're designed. So I'm putting them together, play them as a double feature. I know it's a bit of a cheat, but that's what I'm doing. That's okay. That's okay. I totally understand that. Even though I I have disagreed with the um, spiritual sequel. No way, man. I, I totally... Like, I get why you call them it. I do. Yeah. What do you want to call it? Do you, do you not think they are aligned like thematically at all? Oh no, they are. They for sure are. You what what don't you like about spiritual how about spiritual successor? I suppose it's because I feel like as similar as they are, they are worlds apart different movies. The ex, the feeling that I get from Days and Confused as good as it is, it's not the same feeling I get from Everybody Wants Him. That's just me personally. But I can't disagree with you in the fact that, no, you're talking about a collective ensemble of a, a group of people that you're experiencing for this moment in their lives. Yeah, that that's all. I mean, they're kind of linked together. But yeah, they definitely hit on different emotional points for sure. What about you for four? Four, boyhood. You're not going to get any argument from me. I think that's a great achievement, like we said. Would have been nice to see some more Oscar love. That's the way it goes. Number three for me, Before Midnight. I think that maybe along with Tape are his most just emotionally like brutal movies. I did not expect Midnight to go where it went. And <laughs> life's tough and life has a way of catching up with you sometimes. And it ain't all walks through Paris and it ain't all walks through Vienna and, you know, listening to a record at the same time. It's being in a hotel room and a accusing one person of the other and then storming out and trying to find them and it's it's rough it's the hammer it's it's this it's the movie that that story for 30 years doesn't have because in the other two movies you never reach that emotional spot very true it's romantic there's not much romance in before midnight even though there is but it's um it's that real part of it that if you can stick with this then that's that's the blood and guts of of love Damn right. What about you? Number three. Number three, Waking Life. Oh, cool. So that really crept up there. I liked it that much. It floored me. I just could not believe that it was an overload. But then again, you know, that was the movie. It was all this dream type thing. And I just dug every single second of it. I love that that's that high for you. Number two for me is Boyhood. It really still hits for me. And one thing that I like to talk about that movie is that there's nothing really sensational that happens in it the one like drunk stepdad at one point you know when patricia arquette got hit in the garage you don't like see that but it gets kind of it gets a little nasty there Mm -hmm. but i always think of that scene when those kids are playing with like those saws those small little like table saws they're in like some house under construction any other movie including that one that came on i was like oh shit we made it this far now these kids are gonna like do something bad and it's gonna turn into like one of them's gonna get hurt and it doesn't. They're just throwing them like into a wall or like into a board, which is 
what you do when you're that age and you're bored. You like you're like young, hanging out with like the cool older kids who are only like three years older than you and it's so cool and you're like it's just it's so real to me i just i love it i agree and it, there is it's very true it's like because usually you're expecting in a movie to something bad to happen but in life i mean not all the time but most of the time when boys are being boys they're doing stupid shit where they should get hurt but they actually don't and that's what that scene represents yeah <laughs> yeah um number two for you so number two, all right, so uh, this is the cheap. This is cheap because um, I can't pick. I'm just putting all three of the before movies. Before I, f- I figured you'd uh, do that for one. That's fair. I, I, I wish I could. I, I, I just, after seeing them all together, I can't pick because each one um, hits me emotionally in the exact same way but so different that I, I, I couldn't pick between the three. Well, I think that's fair. And I want to say how... How dare you? <laughs> no, 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 I want to say, like, how can you pick between the three? But that leads us to my number one, which is Before Sunset. I don't mean to... I'm cer- Obviously, I'm a huge fan of his work. I'm not putting down any of his work. But I arrived at that pretty easily. I just... I think that is a perfect 80 minutes of film. Mm-hmm. It had a, it, It's had a life since. Like, I wish it had been more popular when it had come out. But people know that movie. They talk about it. And that's good. And I think I have a hint at what your number one is, and I'm really happy about it. I mean, it has it, to be. We'll it, go for it. Everybody wants some. It ha- that's awesome. It, I, it just has man. to be. I, I, I Go ahead. Sorry, it's yours. I, I don't want to talk. You talk. <laughs> there, there's actually, like, outside of everything that we've already talked about, I just can't. There, there's just, I just love that movie with all of my heart. That's basically the best way I can put it. There's just no movie that I could ever watch that could make me happier than that movie. And it's got to be number one. Nice. Okay, uh, another category. Legacy film, 40 years from now. What's the one movie people are talking about when they think of Richard Linklater? Of course, there can be more than one. I mean, but if you had to narrow it down to one, what do you think he'll be best remembered for? I think that it'll be in my opinion, the same movie that he's remembered for now, and that's Dazed and Confused. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think that will be the one of, like, his enduring legacy. There are a lot of others, the Before series, Boyhood, but I think Dazed lives on. Okay, final category. What movie do you not want people to sleep on? What Richard Linklater movie do people need to see now that, for whatever reason, they have it? I'll go first. We've talked about them already. I have two. It's tape, and it's Everybody Wants Some. Tape is available on Amazon Prime right now. Go check it out. Everybody Wants Some. Watch it however you can. Pay for it. It's worth it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it is. It, they, these are two great movies that I frankly never hear anyone talking about. Outside of our direct friend group, I never hear anyone mention Everybody Wants Some. And I don't think I've ever met anyone else in person who has seen tape. Like, genuinely. So, check them out, because they're good. <laughs> And they deserve to be seen. They really do. They have a lot of good ideas in them. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I agree. I think the my pick for um, Don't Sleep On is tape. Is it? Cool. Um, cool. Just because, it, yeah, you, you can't, because uh, it, it is widely unseen. Not a lot of people know about it. And if you watch it, um, if you're anything like us, you'll you'll have a pretty cool experience with it. And it's so out of the box from anything that any of those actors have ever done or him, Linklater haven't seen anything like it since so that's my don't sleep on well that's all i have for mr richard linklater i think it's been um a lot of fun just diving into his work 
talking about it, exploring some themes. I hope we've given people some ideas of what to watch. All right, so final segment, our namesake of the podcast. It's <laughs> what are you watching? It's a wild card segment, which we can recommend any movie we want. Um, I guess I'll go, yeah, I'll go first. I've been on a, this doesn't have anything to do with Mr. Linklater. That's okay. I've been on a huge Montgomery Clift kick recently, a total binge. Mm-hmm. Um, he's my favorite actor ever. And I recently watched every movie he did in order. He made 17 movies. I guess go watch a Monty Cliff movie. That's what I'm <laughs> urging people to do. I'll narrow it down to one. I'll recommend John Huston's The Misfits from 1961. It is a fantastic revisionist Western that features Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe's final full screen performances and both of their respective bests, in my opinion. Um, Cliff is a supporting player here, but he has two great scenes. Uh, every scene of his is great, but he has two really outstanding scenes. His first one when he's talking to his mom in a phone booth. And then later he has a really long scene with Monroe where he's just uh, resting his head in her lap. And of that scene, Clift said that Monroe was the best actress he ever worked with, which is big praise. And Monroe said, the only person I know who is even who is in even worse shape than me is Montgomery Clift. Oh, man. <laughs> Poor guy. He had a tough, tough life. And so did she. So go watch a Monty Cliff movie. That's what I leave you with. I just wrote about it on my blog, and so it begins films.com. If you want to go check that out, Shane's plug. What about you? What are we watching? Well, you inspired me with that because um, I love Montgomery Clift, and I've only seen, um, I think, probably the three that he's most famous for um, Place in the Sun, Here to Eternity, and um, Red River. Oh, Red River's great. Yeah. And so I've seen those, but then because of your, your obsession, I mean, you would tell me all about these movies. Yeah. So. So I definitely want to jump into that. But um, the movie that I just watched, which is, um, I mean, it. hey, movies are movies, but I had a really fun time with it. Six Underground. Oh, yeah. The Michael Bay one. With uh, the Jerry Bruckheimer movie. <laughs> yeah, oh, my Michael God. Bay. So that's what happens when you give Michael Bay. I think this is like the story that Netflix was like, we'll give you $150 million and you can do whatever you want. And he's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he just goes and like. That thing doesn't make sense. It's no. so crazy, but I had fun with it. I watched it. It came out like at the, I think at the tail end of last year. Yeah, in December. It was so fun, and I could watch Ryan Reynolds do anything. You love Reynolds, yeah. You know, that's a good point that you bring up. I, You and I like a lot of heady films. We like a lot of intense melodramas, foreign, but we definitely know how to have fun, too, and I, I don't begrudge any movie that is just trying to have a little fun it's you know it's fine there's room for the dark stuff and there's room for some fun stuff and you're 100 percent right and i think that's actually a, a great way to kind of wrap up even today's conversation because that's what Linklater does he is like i mean you talk about someone to the dark heaviest stuff is that fight scene in before midnight right and that's as real as it gets i've ever seen portrayed on film and then you have a movie like everybody wants some which is just a fun ride from start to finish and um nothing is ever just one thing and uh when you can find the honesty in both of those i think that's what we're attracted to and that's um i think that's what he does really really well yeah all right well that's it for us thanks for tuning in we appreciate you listening and uh go watch some good movies
Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can check out my flicks and my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you find all of Nick's film work. Nicholas Ali does the music for our show. I've made a few music videos with Nick. He's a great guy and we love his tunes. Big thank you to him. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com. Next episode, we're going to talk about our favorite movies based on plays. Fun idea Nick had. See you then. Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best friend Nick Dostal. We're two Hello, film everybody. lovers and... I'll start over. Okay, I'll always introduce you, I promise.